Thanks for joining us today at Springwell Church, where we want to draw spiritually thirsty people to Jesus by loving God, loving each other, and loving the world. We hope that today's message builds you up, gives you a little insight, and helps you find a brand new perspective. You can find us in Taylor, South Carolina, and online at springwell.org. That's springwell.org. Now let's jump into the message. been in the series uh, that we've been calling Worth More over the last few weeks. And as I've said, you know, really where this came from was conversations that I'd had with people who gave me some sort of version of, I just don't feel like I'm worth much. So the first week we talked about how God created us. He created us precisely. He created us on purpose. He created us with a purpose. Last week we talked about uh, rejection and how God accepts uh, what man often Rejects today. I want to I want to finish that up, and uh, I want to talk about guilt and regret and shame a little bit. I think a lot of people lose who they really are because of their past. Even uh, if in most people's minds it wasn't that big of a thing, I think sometimes we're our own worst enemy, and so we beat up on ourselves because of the things that we've done in the past. Uh, I'll start off by asking you a question: How many of you hate to wait? Come on, don't don't leave me alone. Don't leave me standing alone. I, I am, I'm a terrible, I, I'm terrible at waiting. I, I hate to wait, mainly because when I'm waiting, I think of all the other things that I could be doing, mainly not this. You know what I mean? And so I don't, I don't wait very well. I don't like to wait. I'm not good at it. I rarely find it beneficial. So I don't do well at theme parks where you have to stand in line for an hour to ride a two-minute ride, it just makes no sense to me. Let's watch a YouTube video, you know what I mean? Watch a YouTube video, raise our hands in the air and pretend. Um, I, I, I don't wait in line very well. I don't wait at restaurants. If there's not a table for me when I got there, I take that as a, as a godly sign that I need to go somewhere else. Because mainly when I get to the restaurant, I'm hangry and I'm ready to eat and I don't want don't to wait on a table. I'm not one to wait on a parking place. Some of y'all will ride around a, a, a parking lot six times so that you can wait on a closer parking spot. Not me. I park as far away as I need to because I would rather be walking than sitting in a car waiting on a parking place. There are a few things, though, that I don't, I don't mind waiting on. Do y'all remember back in the day um, when people would buy, when the new iPhone would come out and people would wait in line at the store bef- the day before it released? Most of you probably thought, who are these morons waking up at 4 o'clock and sitting outside this store? I was one of those morons. So for years, when the new iPhone came out, I would sit by a store, whether it be like the wireless carrier or the Apple store, and I would wait on the iPhone store to open so that I could be first in line because they only had minimum quantities. To me, that, that was worth waiting for. I know it's weird. It's weird to you, but to me... It was worth waiting for. You know, we will wait on the things that we place high value on, won't we? Men, when you were standing at the front of wherever you got married, didn't you wait patiently for your wife to walk down the aisle? We wait on what we think is worth it. So today, with that in mind, I want to talk from the subject of worth the wait. Worth the wait. I want us to look at a really common passage in Scripture. Even if you've never been to church before or it's been a long time since you've been in church, you probably at least know part of this story. You probably have at least heard about this story. It's kind of like David and Goliath. It's kind of made its way into popular culture. 
And I think it's a beautiful picture of God's love, his grace, his forgiveness, and what he is willing to wait on. It's found in Luke 15, and what it is, is it's a parable. A parable is a story that Jesus would tell that was, that was made up. He would make it up to illustrate a point. It was usually based on real-life circumstances, things that could really happen. But in order to illustrate a point, he would make up a story. Classic preacher move, right? And this parable that we're about to read is known as the parable of the prodigal son. The word prodigal just means wasteful. The parable of the wasteful son, it comes on the heels of a couple of other parables that Jesus told about a lost sheep and a lost coin. And so we're going to pick up this story at the beginning of verse 11. And this is what it says in Luke 15, verse 11. It says, Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided the property between them. Did you know that a relationship with Jesus gives you son or daughter status with God. That there is nothing that you have to do other than accept Jesus, give your life to Jesus. There's nothing else you have to do to be a son or a daughter of God. The second that you admit that I have failed, I have messed up, I am a sinner, I have missed the mark, the second that you admit that, believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that he is the perfect son of God who died and rose from the grave for you, and that you can, and the second you confess him as your Lord, as the boss of your life, immediately you have son or daughter status with God. If you don't believe me, it's in the Bible. 1 John 3, 1 says this. It says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is because it did not know him. In other words, through a relationship with Jesus, you have all of the benefits of being a child of God. That means that you can go to him when you're hurting. That means that you can talk to him when you're struggling, when you need advice. You can talk to him. That means that you can ask him for things. Y'all got kids? Don't they ask you for everything? That means that you can ask him for things. That means that you can talk to him. And that means that you are in the will. That you have an inheritance because you, when you have a relationship with Jesus, you are a child of God and you did nothing to deserve it. This son, this younger son that's in this parable Jesus is telling is a son not based on anything he's done. It's based on what he's born into. It's based on everything that the father did. You are a son, a daughter of God based on nothing that you have done, but on based on everything that God has done. And so what that means is if I can do nothing to earn child status with God, I can do nothing to lose it. If, if, if there's nothing that I can do to earn my salvation, to make Jesus love me, then that means there's nothing that I can do to make him not love me. Think about it. If I could do something to all of a sudden not be a child of God, how in the world would I know what that is? How would I know when I've done enough bad stuff that all of a sudden I'm written out of the wheel? There's nothing you can do. Ephesians 1, there's literally nothing you can do to disqualify yourself from son or daughter status with Jesus. Ephesians 1 says that you are sealed with a promise. The Holy Spirit comes into your life and he seals you. 
And so you are a child no matter what you do from that point on. You are adopted into the family with all of the benefits that a son or daughter has. But if we're honest, we've all been like this younger son at some point, haven't we? He's fully in the family, but he decides he wants to do his own thing. So he comes to his father, and he asks for his inheritance early. Now, this is important because according to Jewish law of the time, the father had complete rights to give the son his inheritance early. The son had complete rights to ask for his inheritance early. He had complete rights, but it certainly wasn't a loving thing. Essentially, what this son is saying is he's saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. Dad, I wish you would just... I wish, I wish you would just die because I want what comes after you die more than I want you. Dad, I wish you would just go away because I want what you can give me, but I don't want anything to do with you. I want your stuff, but I don't want you. And some of you have been there, haven't you? Like, you didn't say, God, I wish, I wish you would die. No, you didn't, you didn't say that. You didn't even think of it in those terms, but you certainly started living a life where you decided you wanted the things of God without having him be a part of your life, didn't you? Where you chased after the things that he wanted to provide for you, but you didn't want to chase after them with him. So you made a decision. You decided, I want, I, I want, I want happiness. I, 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 want, I want an escape. And so instead of chasing after God for that, you completely moved in the other direction. Maybe Maybe you thought, I, I, I want joy, I want, I want peace, I want something settled inside of me. And so instead of pursuing God for it, instead of sticking with what you knew was best, you went the complete other direction, you made the choice, you went with the, other, the wrong people, and now you find yourself saying, God, I want your stuff, but I don't want anything to do with you. Sometimes it feels like it's more work to stay with the Father, because the Father knows what's best. So this son comes to his dad. He says, Dad, I want my inheritance early. In other words, I want you to go away, and I want the things that you can provide for me now. And so the father lets him go. You know, one of the things God will never do is he will never force you to love him. He will let you turn your back. He will let you make the wrong choice. He will let you ignore him. He will never force you to love him. It pains him. He doesn't like it. He knows it's not what's best for his son or his daughter, but he will never force you to love him. He'll always welcome you back. He won't be bitter, but he will never make you love him. Like any good parent, he will let you make mistakes. For many of us, we've made those mistakes, right? Just like the son, we've wanted the things of God without God being in, involved, and that didn't go well. Look at verse 13. It says, not long after that, the younger son got together all he had. He set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began, began to be in need. You know, running from God is like trying to sprint through a marathon. It doesn't take you long before you realize it ain't going to work. You realize that? The son thought, thought he knew what was best. And so he runs away from this father. He 
takes his money, he runs, he does his own thing, he spends it all on what the Bible calls wild living, and then there's a famine in the land. He is almost at rock bottom, isn't he? He is almost at rock bottom because he doesn't have any way to help himself. And because there's a famine in the land, he doesn't have anybody around him that can, that can help him either. Some of you have been there, haven't you? Have you ever been to rock bottom? Maybe, maybe it was a series of choices you made. Maybe they were small choices, but they began to, to add up. Maybe, maybe it was a giant leap you made. Maybe you made a choice And you knew it wasn't right, and so you jumped and you went so far in the other direction from God that now you find yourself at rock bottom. Maybe it was something in your life, and so things began to snowball, and so things were wrong. Maybe you were abandoned as a child. Maybe you were hurt as an adult, and so you began to take some steps away from God, and things got worse before they got worse. And so now things begin to to snowball, and you find yourself alone, wanting, not being able to help yourself, not being able to escape from it yourself, and there is nobody around you that can help you either, mainly because you've burned a lot of bridges, because they've tried to help you before and you haven't done anything, and now you find yourself at rock bottom. Can I just tell you, if you find yourself there today, and there are people that walk in these doors every Sunday that do, can I just tell you that sometimes rock bottom is the perfect place for you to bounce back? That when you hit rock bottom, Jesus says he is the rock. When you hit rock bottom, sometimes that is the place where reality sets in and you begin to have a bounce back. So if you're at rock bottom today and you feel like it can't get any worse, the Father is still there waiting on you to bounce back. You will find Jesus at rock bottom if you look for him. So he's ran away. Sons ran away from the Father. And that hadn't satisfied him. Verse 15 says, So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. So he's a son, but he ran. He made the mistakes. He blew it, spent all he had, And now he's thinking about eating pig slop. He's so desperate. You know, life will take you to some surprising places, won't it? Some of you have been there. Where you look back and you wonder, how in the world did I get here? Sometimes it's baby steps, right? Sometimes some things just don't go your way. Sometimes some things are done to you. Sometimes it's things that you do, but you look back one day and you see where you are and you see all of the people that you have left in the wake of your selfishness or in the wake of your hurt or in the wake of what they've done to you and you wonder, how on earth did I get here? Life will take you to some, to some surprising places, but here's the amazing thing about God. No matter where you go or where life takes you, you're always a child. No matter where you go, No matter how good it is, no matter how bad it is, no matter how much you mess up, no matter how much good things you do, your status as a child of God never, ever, 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 that's all I'm going to do, ever changes. You are always a child. No matter where life takes you, you are a child and there's nothing that you can do to change it if you have a relationship with Jesus. 
You're still a child. You see, this, this, this son is experiencing what many of you are experiencing today, and that's regret. Do you have some things that you regret? Like, let's just be real. There's something that maybe you feel like is hanging over you. Maybe you regret some of the things you did. Maybe you regret some of the people that you hurt. Maybe you regret some of the mistakes you made. Maybe it was something you said in a weak moment. Maybe you regret what you didn't say. Maybe you regret what you didn't do when you had the chance. Maybe you regret how you treated them. Maybe you regret how they treated you. And some of you today, and I know this because I've talked to some of you, some of you today are so filled with regret that you've lost your worth and your son or daughter status. And when you sit in regret of the past long enough, it doesn't just ruin the past, but it ruins your present, doesn't it? Regret will blind you from reality. And so now, it's not that thing in the past that is causing you trouble, it's the cloud that you've carried from the thing in the past to the present. And so now you're filled with so much regrets of, I wish I would, I I wish I didn't, I wish I could, I wish I could go back. Now you don't know what to to do. You have no joy, you have no, no peace because there's this thing from your past that's just hanging over you. And oftentimes what we do is we just write God off in those situations because we think that he's the one who's putting the regret on us. And so we'll just try to, try to write him off. We'll just try to move on. And so we end up kind of stepping away from God, and, and we, we abandon God. We run away from home. We, we, we don't talk to him anymore. We stop going to church, and it's all because we blame him for the regret that, that we feel. And so we completely lose faith. We stop praying. Or sometimes it's more subtle, isn't it? Maybe some of you are so filled with regret that, you haven't completely written God off. No, you would never say that out loud, but you've become just a ritual Christian. You know what I'm talking about? The people who haven't turned their back on God, but they don't have a good relationship with him either. So that you're going through the motions. You come to church or you pray with your family or you say a ritualistic blessing before you eat but there's nothing inside of you that's on fire anymore and it's because you ha- are filled with regrets of what happened or what, or what didn't happen. Regret doesn't always cripple us. Sometimes it just makes us limp. It just makes us limp through life. And so now it feels like all the time we have this little cloud hanging over our head because of what happened back then or what was done to us back then or what we did back then. And so it creates this cloud over us. And here's, here's what I want you to hear today. Don't be sleeping in the pig pen because of your regret when you belong in the palace with your father. Don't put pig slop on your fork when you should be eating the banquet meal in the mansion simply because of what you regret from from back then. So the son, he's at rock bottom, and then verse 17 says, When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare and here I am starving to death? 
I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So the son gets a plan. Says he came to his senses. Maybe he had a thought one day that maybe I, maybe I could go back home. He's guilty and he's shameful. And he completely forgets where he belongs. That's what shame will do to you, isn't it? Shame will make you forget your rightful place and who you really are. And that's where some of us are today. You did something. Something was done to you. You were abused. You made a mistake. And shame is crippling you from being the person you were meant to, bo- meant to be. And so you don't have any joy. You don't have any peace. You don't have any life. You don't have any any confidence, that's what shame does. Shame, see the difference between shame and regret is regret will hang over you, but shame tries to identify you. Shame tries to identify you as that thing that happened to you. And so you don't just regret it, all of a sudden you are believing it's who you are. This, this son has forgotten his rightful place. He's forgotten that he's a son. He's saying, I'm going to tell him, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And some of you are there today because the shame that you live in, and it has changed your identity and everything about you and about your personality. Some of us are living in shame simply because you have struggles. And so what Satan will do is sometimes he'll tell you, if you were really a believer, you wouldn't struggle like this. If you really, if you really love God, you would never have these moments of doubt. If, if, if you were a real Christian, if you were a, a, a really good person, you wouldn't blow up at your spouse like that. And what happens is as he whispers that into your ear, as the shame is cast on you, all of a sudden you begin to identify with what he is trying to shame you with. And let me just tell you that if you're here today and you're walking in shame, you've come to the perfect place. Springwell is a great church for people who are struggling with regret and sin and shame. You're in the perfect, perfect, perfect place. So even though he's shameful, filled with regret, we have to give this son some credit because he finally comes to his senses. He lays a plan out and he gets moving. In verse 20, it says, so he got up went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son. He threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He's halfway through his speech. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and let's celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found. So they began to celebrate. Wow. Isn't that a beautiful picture? The son doesn't even get through his rehearsed monologue before his father says, shh, shh, shh. So if, if, if you're living in regret and shame, and you feel like you're not who you used to be, you begin to identify with your past, with your mistakes. If you feel like that cloud is hanging over you, put yourself in this son's shoes for just a moment. 
you're shameful, you're regretful. Heck, you're, you're guilty. Like you've done it, it's true. And so there, there's something inside of you that thinks, maybe, maybe, if, maybe if I just do it right, maybe I can, I can go back. So you, you come to your senses, you work up the courage to go back home, you're prepared for the worst, you're regretful, you're shameful, but you're just thinking, if I can just go home and if I can just sleep in the bathroom, it'd be better than this mess I'm going through now. So you develop a plan. You craft a speech. Maybe you're up all the, all night, the night before and you're typing it on your computer and you've got it memorized and you've got it rehearsed. And so you, you, you head out. The day finally comes when you decide you're going you're gonna to go for it. You head out. You make your way towards where you remember the house being. Your palms are sweating. You're probably stuttering. Your, 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 your heart is fluttering because you don't know what's going to happen. You walk up to the house. You see the father. You, you see him standing there on, on the porch. And you start this big, long speech that you've typed up and that you've worried about and that you've agonized every word. And you begin, and the father looks at you and says, shh, I've been waiting on you. He's been waiting on you. Because you're worth the wait. No matter how good, no matter how bad, you're his child. And I, and I read this, and I'm just going to read it directly because it's so good. Especially if you've, if you've heard this story before. This is what Warren Wiersbe, who's a theologian, says. He says, in the East, which is where this story is set, old men do not run. Yet the father ran to meet his son. Why? Well, one obvious reason was his love for him and his desire to show that love. But there's something else involved. This wayward son had brought disgrace to his family and his village. And according to Jewish law, he should have been stoned to death. If the neighbors had started to stone him, they would have hit the father that was embracing him. What a picture of what Jesus does for us. That even though we've ran, even though we've messed up, and some of you are listening to me and you're tuning me out because your mess ups don't include being jailed, but you still messed up. And the father runs out to meet him, wraps his arms around him and says, I am going to not just save you, but I am going to protect you from the arrows of the people around you. You are worth the wait. You are worth the father running to meet you and say, forget the shame, forget the regret. You are my child. Welcome home. You're worth it. You, you watching online, you are worth it. So if you know the story, you know now the older son chimes in and says, well, hey, hey, dad, I've been here the whole time. You hadn't killed any calves for me. We haven't thrown a feast for me. And the dad basically says, shut up. And then in verse 32, says, but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours, he was dead. He was practically dead. 
and he's alive again. He was lost, and now he's found. The son was worth the father's weight. So are you. Despite the shame, despite the regret, despite what somebody told you when you were a little girl or a little boy, despite how you feel like your life has gone, despite how desperate you are this morning, despite how good you are this morning, you are worth the wait. God is willing to wait on you because you are valuable. What do you wait on? What are you willing to wait on? You wait on the things that are most valuable to you. What has God been waiting on? He's been waiting on you. So this morning, my encouragement would be, even, even if you don't feel like you've ran that far, maybe you could just take a look in your father's eyes. And you could just acknowledge the fact that even though you haven't ran that far, that he always waits for you to come back even when you just barely leave the house. Maybe some of you, you've ran way away from home. You've been like this son and you've been sleeping in the pig pen and you've known it and you've never taken the steps to come home. You are worth the wait. And this morning he is waiting on you. He is waiting on you to come home or maybe he's waiting on you to, 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 to get home for the first time because you've never had a relationship with Jesus. So let me just ask you, what regret and shame have you been allowing to define you and cause you to miss out on who you're truly meant to be? So you've got that cloud. Because every day it whispers, you're not enough. You messed up. You didn't get it right. What if... What if you never come back to God because you thought you messed it up too bad, but he's been standing on the front porch waiting on you this whole time? What if you live your whole life on the assumption that the mistake you made forbids you from living the life you'd like? And he's been waiting on you the whole time. Your worth my worth isn't based on what I've done. It's based on who's been waiting on me. With every head bowed, every eye closed. There's some of you this morning who you are a child of God. You have a relationship with Jesus. But it's been a long time since you were home in the palace with your father because you've allowed the regret, the shame, the mistakes to define you. This morning, my simple question is, is we turn around and go home because you're still a son. You're still a daughter. Will you go home? He's waiting on you. So maybe if if that's you, if you need to go home, maybe you can replay this, this scene in your mind again. And just watch as all of that stuff you've been carrying falls away as you hit the front steps. And the father says, 
welcome home. I've been waiting because you're worth the wait. Jesus, I pray for every person who's been doubting their salvation, has been doubting their worth. Lord, for every person that needs to come home. Lord, that they wouldn't try to clean the pig slop off first, but that they would just head home to you who's waiting on them. God, thank you that we are sons. We are daughters of you. Thank you that we're worth you waiting. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.